Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you today. Happy Tuesday, Dr. Paul. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. We're going to talk about things we have talked about before. I hope our audience doesn't get bored. Uh -huh. no, <laughs> we we don't would. get bored because <laughs> we have to work hard to try to keep up on it. Yeah. Every, every day, you know, maybe even during this program, something might happen. <laughs> Lots of news. Yeah, a lot of changes over there. But we've been concentrating on uh, a couple things. I think in the last several months, it would be the foreign policy in Ukraine and also uh, what, uh, what's happening as COVID winds down as being a mortal threat to <laughs> the whole world. Yes. So in Ukraine, there wasn't a major event that happened. Right uh, after our show, I hope yeah. it wasn't because they were watching us. And all of a sudden, <laughs> uh, the boundary lines are changing. Yeah. There's independence, uh, you know, in Ukraine. And, and uh, two areas now have declared themselves independent nations. And guess what? They're in eastern Ukraine. Uh, they're um, Russian people. They one time were part of Russia. And all of a sudden, we shouldn't be shocked to see, oh, Russia, uh, you know, recognizes them as independent now, yeah. which will be a long way for true independence because there's a few people who are complaining about it. But with all the complaining about it and all the threats and all the sanctions, uh, that if Russia would do anything like this, it would cause a calamity. Who knows? Calamity still may may come, but at the moment, uh, you know, NATO didn't didn't send anybody over to check things out, yeah. and uh, maybe they're on vacation. Maybe there's a holiday or something. Yeah. But anyway, the declaration was made, which is significant. Matter of fact, uh, Russia has evidence that uh, under the best you can uh, understand international law, they've really are more obedient to the international agreements than NATO has been. Yeah. Matter of fact, NATO says has been been very disobedient, has caused trouble, and so the Russians have some complaints. But they're also determined to uh, get the lines rearranged, and uh, history tends, I would think, to be on on uh, on Russia's side, especially in for Eastern U Ukraine. And uh, this, this to me is, it's, it's significant. I think it's still dangerous, but so far, uh, you, you know, I've read one article that says, oh, you know, uh, uh, Putin's going to learn a lesson now. Mm -hmm. you know? But I'm not so sure Putin, maybe he did learn a lesson, just continue to do what he's doing. And um, his economy uh, seems to do uh, no worse than, before all this concept, uh, con uh, con all, all these problems started with the uh, with the sanctions. So yeah. I, I would say that uh, that Putin is probably uh, staying alert, uh, and things are changing. They may change, like we said, <laughs> today or tomorrow. But uh, it's just too bad that people, when they have types of agreements, and uh, and we can't say well, it's all Russia's fault because. We tend to disobey agreements, too. <laughs> and a matter of fact, we might have the record for that. And if you look at which country in the world has participated the most in, uh, in, in coups of other countries, I would think that uh, the United States has the record for that. We're number the, one. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing it. 
And certainly we've mentioned the coup of, of uh, 2014, yeah. which is the most recent one that has set the stage for this. And uh, so therefore, it, uh, the agreements, it's just too bad. The agreements uh, aren't uh, always moving us in the right direction, but both yeah. sides would agree to. And that's more or less what's happened here with Eastern, Eastern Ukraine. There was an agreement that they would work with and uh, early on and then in 2014, and of course with NATO at the, uh, in, in 1990, uh, you know. But, but they're, st they're still arguing over it. It's getting serious. And now, uh, it, to me, it's interesting to see the economic ramification because I believe so strongly that the freer the market, the freer trade you have, the sounder the money, the more prosperity is for everybody. But uh, right now, uh, they're determined, even if there is not a huge military confrontation, threatening to do so. But all the sanctions and arguments and closing on gas lines that seems to that would have helped the German people, it would have helped the Russians too. Uh, it interferes with their trade. But right right now, uh, you know, they're still having policies, both the Europeans as well uh, as uh, United States, on not uh, you know real, really working hard for a free market in oil and. Biden is getting hit pretty hard in this country for, uh, you know, participating in all this nonsense. And although I'm always cautious to say that it's all Biden's fault, that's why we have inflation, which isn't a true statement. He hasn't helped and he makes it worse, but he, he certainly has aggravated, uh, his policies has aggravated the oil and it gets so ridiculous. We do things that makes the oil prices go up and make us more dependent. And uh, it, it was all avoidable. So um, they need an injection of common sense. So I'm going to go over there and tell them I'm their doctor. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was actually just a little bit after we finished the show yesterday and we speculated that something was, was, was uh, on the horizon. And indeed it was. President Putin gave a one hour long talk uh, and it was translated. And it was interesting. He gave a sort of a sweeping view of history, uh, particularly recent history. He talked about 2014 as a precipitating factor in this recognition of Lugansk and Donetsk as independent republics. Uh, and he talked about how almost seven years after the Minsk agreements, how Ukraine had den done nothing uh, to, to fulfill its obligations, uh, which are to increase the autonomy through the referendum process for that part of the, uh, of the country. Uh, which, you know, declared its independence back in 2014 after the U.S. overthrew the government. But what's interesting is now what's happening a day later. What is the response going to be? And in the U.S., the response is, is almost, I would say, comical, but it's not. This laid bare the fact that everything the U.S. administration, followed by the U.S. media, every single claim, every single promise, every single prediction was completely laughably wrong. There was no false flag movie, as, as uh, Ned Price, the State Department spokesman, claimed. There was no false flag event, uh, as the administration claimed. There was no massive invasion of the entire Ukraine and bombarding of Kiev and killing thousands of people, as the administration kept claiming. You know, they believed their own lies, so they were taken by surprise when essentially Putin said, okay, we'll recognize your independence and we will have a, a cooperation treaty. And in fact, just before the show started just now, uh, the parliament in Russia approved the sending of troops, uh, peacekeeping forces to the region. So essentially, it all happened lightning quick thus far without really a shot 
being fired. That will change probably depending on, on what Zelensky does and what his response is. But essentially, they, this, is what, <laughs> this is what Russia did in Crimea while the U.S. was making all of these absurd claims. And also in, in Syria, they go in quickly, they establish facts on the ground, and those facts remain because they can't be overturned. And it's interesting, I think it was uh, my old friend uh, George Samueli who tweeted yesterday, uh, if only the U.S. hadn't uh, done the coup in 2014, uh, these wouldn't have been taken, and now Crimea and probably eastern Ukraine are lost to Ukraine forever. But just do a couple of clips before we turn it back, because here's what the U.S. administration is scrambling to figure out how to respond. Let's put up, put up the first one. Here's the Deputy National Security Advisor, John Finer. Now he says, an invasion is an invasion, and this is what is underway. That's questionable uh, if you think about what's happening, but then you, hear, you see Ali Rogan, she's with NewsHour, uh, the next clip, and as she's been talking to administration officials, she said, in a conference call with reporters on responding to Putin and what comes next, a senior administration official suggested that Russian troops in Donetsk and Luhansk alone may not warrant the swift and severe sanctions the administration has been previewing. So the threat was, we are going to sanction everything that moves. And Putin says, I don't care, I'm going to do this anyway. And now the U.S. is saying, now what do we do? <laughs> you know, they called their bluff, essentially. Yeah, for sure. You know, there was a document that verified <clears throat> a known event, and that is that the end of the breakdown of, uh, of the Soviet system in 1990, that there were uh, sentiments said, and I think George Bush Sr. was involved in this, that uh, the implication was that uh, NATO would never expand eastward, Toward uh, toward Russia. Well, that they didn't live up to that. But now Der Spiegel just reported a actual document that yeah, has more physical. legal force to it, where there were several countries that got together and said exactly that. The document reveals Soviet Union was promised no NATO expansion at the end of the Cold War. So uh, this this is the reason that if people gave Russia a fair shake that at least recognized this, you know, you know uh, it, it isn't that you, you can't make make your criticism bipartisan or by country, you know, yeah. but but at, at least in this case, he is, uh, uh, Russia and Putin has, sort of has a strong case for this, that the violators now are uh, the, the NATO forces moving in that direction. Of course, we said that was really occurring in 2014. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, Europeans. And uh, I just think it's foolhardy for the Europeans to roll over every time we want something and we want to put our missiles there. And now we want to actually want to put missiles in, in the, into Ukraine and eastern Ukraine and send in forces. But, but uh, if, we'll, we'll see because I, I think they're coming from a very weak position. And you and I have talked about it. Maybe one good thing about this will NATO will get weaker. Now that's blasphemy, you yeah. know. Of course, a weaker NATO, and they've kept us safe for so long, <laughs> and they don't cost that much money, you know. <laughs> so it's interesting. This document was uncovered by uh, by the Spiegel recently, and what it was is a because we've always heard that there was a, a, a verbal agreement, of course denied by the U.S. side. Well, these were contemporary uh, doc uh, meet, uh, minutes of the meeting that took place. <laughs> on March 6, 1991, and it was foreign ministry officials from the U.S., France, Germany, and Britain took place in Bonn, Germany, and it was basically a cable that was, that was written down by German diplomat Jürgen Schuraberg, 
and he said, this is what he wrote in this cable as the meeting was finishing, we made it clear in the two plus four negotiations that we would not expand NATO beyond the Elba. We can therefore not offer NATO membership to Poland and the others. That's written in 1991. So it was indeed a fact. Russia agreed to pull its troops out of uh, Germany and the rest of the occupied areas since World War II in exchange for this promise. It's written down. So it changes history in a very significant way. And it also tends to bolster Putin's argument that, listen, you keep violating these agreements and pushing NATO to our doorstep. We have no choice but to react for our own national security. You know, governments notoriously worldwide know a lot about their citizen. They keep close tabs on it. Isn't it interesting that this uh, this was found in the British National Archives? Yeah. And that's been around since 1990. Yeah. And all of a sudden, oh, we found this. It's uh, the the evidence to show what government's doing sometimes is harder to find. They can probably find out what kind of cereal everybody eats in the United States <laughs> or something like that. And, and, you know, that's hardly even a joke when you think of what Facebook can yeah, do. Sure. You know, so. Yeah, sure. So anyway, this is uh, this is good that they can find that. And... and uh, It'll be interesting to see what happens, but uh, I just don't think the people shouting tomorrow is Armageddon. <laughs> I don't think they're making as much noise right now. Well, you know, I was thinking about this morning. It's kind of funny because uh, we talked about last week that Zero Hedge was accused of being an agent of Russia because they dare challenge the, uh, you know, the, 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 the accepted narrative. The Ron Paul Institute uh, and us personally have been ex- uh, accused of being agents of Russia. Trump was accused for four years of being agents of Russia. But, you know, I was sort of wondering, who really might we think about as an agent of Russia? And I have a proposal, <laughs> Dr. Paul. I think it's Victoria Newland, because Victoria <laughs> Newland is the one, after the coup, she's responsible for Crimea returning to Russia, and now she's responsible because she's in a senior position for eastern Ukraine returning to Russia. If it wasn't for Victoria Newland, Crimea and the two breakaway republics would still be firmly in the hands of Ukraine. So what we're reporting here today is she is a Russian agent. She, she certainly, she's done the bidding for Russia better than any of us could have imagined or even hoped to do, even if we were in the pay of Putin. She's achieved more for Russia than any of us, all yeah, of us she, put together. Yeah, she gets a lot of credit here for doing exactly the opposite. <laughs> I had yeah. a couple more clips, if Go you don't ahead. mind, before we move on, and I spent so much time putting them up that I have to. But if we could just do the next one really quick. Um, this is, this is a, a, an open question. The red area is the difference between the current line of demarcation and the administrative regions of Donetsk and Lugansk. The question is whether Russia will recognize the entire administrative re, uh, region or not, and that's a big issue. The other one, which is what you touched on in the opening, Dr. Paul, which I think is worth thinking about, the next one is what will the European reaction to, uh, be to this? Next clip, if you don't mind. This is the uh, Prime Minister uh, Medvedev. And he's responding to the fact that the German chancellor has issued an order to halt the process of certifying Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. And here's what Medvedev said. Well, welcome to the brave new world where Europeans are very soon going to pay 2,000 euros for 1,000 cubic meters of natural gas. In other words, the price of energy is going to soar in Europe if they follow Washington toward these massive sanctions. It, it still is a bit bewildering why they're self de- so self-destructive. You know, why, why would the Germans do this other than the fact that they, uh, uh, you, you know, are towing the line on our, our positions and they're, they're going along with this. But, uh, 
it, it doesn't make any sense. But this would this would be the wonderful thing that would happen if NATO just faded away. If the Europeans want to prepare for it, that's fine. But that's a long trip over there to yeah. send our missiles and our bombs and soldiers and everything else and you know, going back and forth. I, you know, just like uh, balancing the budget or changing our foreign policy or our monetary policy, it's not going to happen with common sense and getting yeah. more people there thinking out a proper way. This thing's going to break down. And then hopefully the individuals who have presented the case for a free society, sound money, a non-interventionist foreign government can have some influence in, in the rebuilding because this is some of this stuff is so crazy yeah. it makes no sense and all this lockdown stuff that has gone on it makes no no sense and uh, therefore uh, uh, government doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people i was criticized the other day on our website because i said government should be very very minimal and they uh -huh. only do two percent they went back and said you're wrong you're wrong we don't want any government any government well the thing about germany uh, this the the the, the burden of this political choice is going to be born on the back of the German people. And we've seen plenty of polls recently showing that the average German views Russia more as a trading partner than as an adversary. So there are going to be political costs if the German government goes along with these sanctions. When the average German sees his price of heating, and it's still cold over there and it will be for a while, when you see your heating bill double and you say it's because they want to make Washington happy, there's going to be some political risks that I'm not sure that the Russian government is ready, or the German government is ready to bear. A couple of final things, and you mentioned NATO in your opening. This is the NATO response. Here's Stoltenberg, if we can put up the next one. This is basically all he can say. NATO is ready, if necessary, to continue strengthening its presence in the East. And this reminds me of what our friend Colonel McGregor has said since this latest crisis started. This will be the end of NATO. NATO has shown itself to be a paper tiger. It has absolutely nothing. It has no creative ideas, no way to deal with this situation other than to continue to, uh, to puff itself up and act like it's a, a real a tough organization, which is, it's not. And the last thing, Dr. Paul, I can't resist this. Caitlin Johnstone, who spoke before one of our conferences a few years ago, she had this great quip, and you, you alluded to some of U.S. foreign policy earlier, but this is a great little, uh, a little thing, if we can put it up, uh, this next one, uh, Caitlin Johnstone. <laughs> the U.S. is the very last government on this entire planet who has any business talking about respecting the sovereignty of other nations. Absolute dead last. And when you think about Syria, Libya, the coup in 2014, the endless color revolutions, she's got a pretty good point there. You know, NATO is, is going to face the same problems we face, you know, financially. You know, too much debt and, and too much inflation and all. I mean, they're not going to be immune from that. So there will be some natural resistance to all this, some natural law in economics. They're going to say, where are we going to get that? But you know what they do. They just bear down on the coercion. They just hire slaves or make us slaves. Yeah. In a way, that's, that's what happened under COVID. Uh, people became enslaved and they obeyed and had prison camps. And, and, this, and it's still going on like that. So um, well, let's move over to Scotland, I think, if we're, if we're finished yeah. with this. And this is a, a big one. If we can skip that next uh, clip and go to the one on Scotland and go ahead and put that one up, because we've already dealt with the issue of the document. Public Health Scotland is going to stop publishing COVID data due to anti-vax misuse fears. And that's pretty interesting. Yes. And, and you know, it, it's getting it, it's to the point where you, 
it's very hard to even get to discuss this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the last thing that we need, though, and somebody's going to suggest it, uh, oh, whoa, well, this does look bad. It, it looks like they've deceived us and they don't report it. It's reported that they don't give us any information on an age group, which is probably... Uh, the most significant age group, uh, uh, you know, with qualification, the people between 18 and 49 is a big group of people, and they they don't have the data for them, yeah. so they they have something to hide. But on the on the commissions and the investigations, uh, that that will come, and in a way, uh, people will demand it. We need to have an investigation on that. Who do you want to do it? The FBI and, <laughs> and Hillary running it, or something like that, because the system of justice is, it comes up short. But all cover uh, all commissions uh, and studies like this are mostly designed to get popular support because the people want to know the truth, but they're really designed to cover up. So if there is anything, they're going to have to cover up these things. There was a bad fire and all the records were burned, you yeah. know, something like that. It's never a mistake uh, or it's, it's never something they shouldn't have done and dishonesty involved. But they, they will have to do a little bit more talking about it. But this is, this is horrible about... Uh, and it's not just uh, it's, it's not just in this country. It's all over. This was the Scotland one, and and uh, the evidence is just piling up on on the failure. What they want to hide is the failure and the lies that they have told. Yeah. What about uh, you, you know you know natural immunity? How how long did they want to call a person that talked about it a, a, a terrorist yeah. and a way to kill people and killing the children? And then all of a sudden things change. So. Uh, when I see some of the interviews on television, uh, when the Canadians wake up, I say something big's going on, and, and uh, they're coming up with some pretty good support there for a, a lot more sensible government. Well, it's interesting you talk about how they lied. You know, basically the, they were fairly transparent. This, this, the Public Health Scotland was fairly transparent. They were simply just publishing the data. Here's here's the data with the vaccine. Here's the data with people catching it. And it started, the data started changing in a very radical way. And here's a, here's a quote from it. The triple vaccinated accounted for the majority of COVID-19 cases between 15 January and 11 February, recording 13,833 cases in that week alone. This compares to 5,000 cases among the double vaccinated and only 3,000 cases among the unvaccinated. So the data they were publishing was showing they're actually look to be more likely to catch COVID-19 if you're getting all the shots. And so what do they do? They said, well, this might encourage anti-vaxxers. So we have to take the whole thing out so they're not publishing anything now. Yeah. No data. Can't trust them, that's, that's for trust sure. Them. And uh, the question of what exactly are they hiding, there's a lot more that yeah. they're hiding. And, uh, and, and the evidence there that they've hidden it, I mean, they can't deny it anymore. Most people realize now they're not getting the information that people who, like you say, yeah. they were reporting and all of a sudden it dries up. And uh, it, it uh, is something that I think will break. Now, I wanted to go on. I think we can go on. Yeah, let's build, go on that build, next yeah. clip. Our favorite uh, oh, our have philanthropist, uh, great, wonderful man. Here it is, Dr. Paul. He's talking about something. I'm not going to even say the word. I'm going to let you say it. Natural, not uh, immunity. This, this, I, I get a charge out of this, <laughs> but it's sort of pretty cynical and it makes me nervous when I get a charge out of something. <laughs> 
But here we have this Bill Gates that he uh, he condemned uh, natural immunity all along, and, and that was a terrible, terrible thing. And that's what they've used. And if you believe in natural immunity, you were a really, really bad guy. But here is his Bill Gates uh, credits. Na he's changes his mind now. Yeah. Credits natural infection. <laughs> so now he couldn't even say the word. He's, of course, you get the immunity from a natural infection. But he said, now he's conceded that people actually get infections. And, uh, and but you got to stomp that out. You got to can't have any any infections at all. So you need more. He conclusion probably map more vaccines. Yeah. But it is a startling admission because as he, this was at the Munich Security Conference, he said that natural infection and spread was more effective at bolstering human immunity <laughs> than the vaccines. It wasn't an anti-vaxxer. It wasn't, uh, you know, uh, Joe Rogan. You know, it wasn't uh, Aaron Rodgers. It was Bill Gates, Mr. Vaccine himself, who said, you know what, these vaccines aren't very good. And I think a lot of people that have taken them and a lot of people that have had adverse reactions are going to say, now you tell us. Thanks a lot. Or maybe worse. And, of course, in that article, they were talking about how they're still preparing for the next uh, <laughs> next uh, uh, infection and, and the next, next pandemic. And they, the people need them. They, they, they really believe they're needed to, to save lives. Uh, but, boy, that's where the statistics will eventually... The, all the truth will come out and people are going to look back and say, where were those people? Where were the scientists? Where were the doctors? Yeah. But they're, they're all going to say, also say, where were the people? Why'd they go along with this? Had too much trust in the government. But right now we're seeing that's where the awakening, the true awakening is coming. It's the parents. Yeah. You know, I saw some stories about that, that they're bringing... Uh, it was a political argument, uh, which was serving the interests of the Republican Party. But I actually had to believe in, in what they were saying, that one thing that people are coming together, regardless of race, creed, color, or whatever, that there's not very many groups of people that you, who can get together and, uh, and not have uh, an interest in children. Yeah. You, you know, taking care of the, their, uh, the parents. Of, uh, there are some people who don't want to be parents, and that's okay. But the people who are parents who have been brainwashed in government schools for a long time, they're, they are sick and tired of it. And boy, you can see some fantastic speeches given by the parents that get out there. And then it's, it's one of these things that there's a lot, significant crowd that came to the meeting. And uh, most of them would be intimidated and not wanting to give a speech. But you get one person getting out there saying the things that they all have been thinking. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, that's, and that's, right. the, that's the way it works. And that's, uh, I just hope we see a lot more of that. Yeah. Well, our last story, unfortunately, I'm, I'm feeling bad now because I hate ending on a down note. And unfortunately, we are. Maybe we'll find something to laugh about before we close the show. <laughs> we followed the Canadian trucker protest for, for, for a long time. We talked about it a lot. We admired the fact that it was peaceful civil disobedience. And you were marked several times on the fact that they were having fun, which is a good thing, and the kids were having fun. Let's put up this last clip, and this is, this is bad news. And it really shows that Canada has descended into a kind of a totalitarian hell. The Ottawa protest organizer Tamara Litch has been denied bail. She didn't hurt anyone. She didn't hit anyone. She didn't punch anyone. She didn't shoot anyone. And in that respect, regardless of what they said about January 6th here,
there was some violence that happened. There was not even any violence there, certainly not on the part of the people in the protest. There was plenty of violence on the part of the cops with their horses stamping on people's faces. But the organizers, the truckers, there was zero violence. They denied her bail because they said, you're probably going to go out there and do this stuff again if we let you out, so we're going to hold you. She's facing years and years in prison. You know, it is true. You can't say both events are the same, January 6th and what, what they went through. But still, January 6th didn't produce every single one of them that deserved to lose their right in court. Yes. And they can't, even, they can't even see a judge and find out why they're there. You know, so it's, it's a process that's going on worldwide. And why, why the people have allowed this? You know, five years ago, uh, even we who are pretty cynical about government and didn't like what was happening, I don't, think, I don't think too many of our close friends would predict exactly that it would be this fast, this fast, yeah. uh, uh, this quickly. And, and it, 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 to me, it still is unbelievable how, how organized they were worldwide. I mean, it, that, was, that was the real epidemic. You know, the, the movement of these ideas. Of course, we do believe that ideas are important. Unfortunately, this time, the ideas that were spread were support, in support of this cultural Marxism. Yeah. And they were, they it's, had been around. But we do know that most of this baloney that we're living with now has been around for a hundred years. And uh, the universities were incestuous with all, all this stuff. And then they, the, they, they, the people who leave the universities, the teachers, the professors, they end up in the journalists and all. They've infiltrated, and uh, I guess um, I guess there were people, and we were always concerned. Uh, certainly in the economic sphere, I would say yes, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse, even though on the surface it doesn't sound so bad. And so, just as uh, the economic bad policy spreads, this type of thing idea spread too. And uh, I, I still put a lot of blame on the people in the university and a lot of blame on uh, the slowness uh, with which the people wake up. But right now, uh, I think the availability of uh, good economic thinking and uh, the principles of liberty uh, are alive and well. There's a remnant out there. It's growing, and we have to encourage them and do our very best to spread the message. Absolutely. Well, I think in my closing, the good, there is a little good news, I think. And the good news is that I think this, this latest chapter with, with Russia and eastern Ukraine has really exposed the absolute failure of U.S. interventionism and the maintenance of a U.S. empire. Uh, it's, it's, completely, it's completely done. You know, the center can't hold. The U.S. can't maintain the empire. Uh, for all the people that say that we have to rule the world, this has shown that we literally cannot. We cannot do it. So the good news, I think, is good news for the American people. It's not pro-Russia good news. I couldn't care less whether Russia recognizes Timbuktu. It's good news for America because it shows that a pro-America foreign policy is staying out of the affairs, don't cause these problems to begin with, and you won't have to spend trillions of dollars trying to solve them six, seven, eight, ten, twenty years in Afghanistan down the road. So I think it's exposed. I think it's a great opportunity for us to tell our message. We don't need this. It's pro-America to be non-interventionist. And this is a great time to shout it from the treetops. So Thanks for tuning in and listening to us talk about it, Dr. Paul. Very good. And I want to follow up on that because it's such an important issue. And the people do respond and uh, people say, well, we need to build a coalition for this. And of course, most people 
listening to this program, though, when I think of, co uh, of, uh, of, of bringing people who had bipartisanship, coalitions good, bring people together and stand by their, their principles. But a lot of people would say, yeah, I think you guys are on the right track and it just cut back on their money. They wouldn't be able to build all these weapons. And so that's proposed a t the real test on anybody who will uh, cut back. We'll cut the uh, IMF and the World Bank and, and the uh, NATO funds by 10%. Well, tell you what, that isn't it. You gotta attack it on the principle of it. And, and cutting back, on the amount of money NATO gets uh, and made NATO more effect, efficient is not the answer. The answer is getting rid of it. And uh, that is a reason why even when a bill that came up that was spending such and such amount of money, uh, no, no matter what, what, uh, what they do, if you maintain the principle of, of uh, Cowtown to the military industrial complex for one item, for the, for the F-35, you're cutting to the principle that the military-industrial complex runs the show. So it's, it's I think, uh, a principle that if there's a bad policy, you don't tinker with it. You just get rid of it because nature will get rid of it because it'll grow to the point where we won't be able to afford it and the bankruptcy will get rid of it. But uh, it makes more sense to do it on principle. If something is bad, get rid of the whole thing. And uh, I think that is a better way because it's the principle of the thing that really counts, and that's what we like to challenge. So the principle of foreign interventionism should be a strict principle. You should back off, you know, just don't justify, oh, yeah, but we got to go into Canada. They're having trouble up there with, uh, <laughs> with their truckers. We'll go in there and help. <clears throat> no way. So I think that is important. <clears throat> But I do believe that we're uh, making progress and we'll continue to do so. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And please return to the military. Uh, please return to the Liberty Report soon. Thank you.